Hello, and welcome to Let Me Tell You a Story podcast, produced by ED Media. Today's story is from the best-selling novel, Journey to the Kingdom of Soul, written by author Everlast. Chapter 5 A gang of horses trotted down the pathway, as the sun began to descend behind the thick row of huge mountains. The lead horse carried the commander of the ten-man team that was sent out to find the royal family. Usually Commander Vance would have turned his search part around and headed back to Industryland. Tracking down runaways was not his idea of a worthy kill, because a runaway is a coward. He stayed on the trail after passing through the Galono village and getting an eerie feeling, the short people were hiding something. They weren't hiding it in their village, but they were hiding something. The high priest of the village denied having any unexpected visitors come through Galona, but the commander sensed something wasn't right. He thanked the high priest for his cooperation and the group rode out of the center of the village. Once they reached the furthest sentry stationed on the outside perimeter, Vance ordered one of his men to fall off of his horse and they all gathered around him as if concerned. When the Galona sentry got curious enough to approach the group, they seized him. The brutal hunters tortured the Galona sentry until he pointed them in the right direction. Once Vance was satisfied, it was the royal family that traveled through the village, the commander had the battered man put out of his misery. When the sun began to set, Commander Vance ordered his men to pull over and set up camp. That is until one of his men saw smoke rising over the tall trees, Commander, I see smoke, the man said pointing in the northwest direction. One of Vance's men rode up ahead to scope out the area. The horse cried out in pain as it stepped into a trap and broke its leg. The soldier was violently thrown from the horse, landing in a thorny bush. Commander Vance and the rest of his group immediately stopped in their tracks, hopped off of their horses, and went into attack formation. Down. Down. Spread out. Vance ordered. Oh. One of his troops cried out in pain as an arrow glided through the air and lodged itself in his chest. Who goes there? Vance barked, trying to get a better idea of who they were dealing with. Show yourself. The night was quiet as each side held their position. Darkness was quickly approaching giving the protectors of the pathway the upper hand. Vance knew this, but he didn't want his men to make any sudden moves and give their attackers a clean shot. We are just passing through, the commander said into the trees. You can't come through here. Turn around and leave. A voice answered from above. Commander Vance weighed his options. We come in peace. And we can't turn back. Where do you come from? We come from Flatlands, Vance said. Everyone in Musina knew Flatlands was neutral territory. It was quiet for a moment as the injured horse whimpered in the dark. Some of the trees began to ruffle, causing Vance and his men to brace themselves for a close encounter. Seven warriors slid down the dangling vines and approached the intruders with caution. Vance could see the approaching bodies in the moon's silhouette, itching to attack them. The commander let the discipline in him, tell him to be patient, they will show themselves. The commander slowly rose from his crouched position. Who approaches? The guards of Hala, the man said, standing five feet away. What brings you this way? Two soldiers eased up on Vance's side, as he said, our land was attacked and we're traveling to find a new settling. The Hala warrior looked over to his left and let his eyes talk to his brother-in-arms, before turning back to Vance saying, attacked by whom? The industry army, Vance said. The vocal man looked at his tribesmen again and this time he got a silent nod from one of them. You cannot go through our village. 
You have to go around, he told the commander. Vance returned a nod in agreement. The Halal men had a lot of things in their favor and Vance had no problems living to fight another day. If this would have been daylight, the commander would have tried his luck against the Halal men. Okay, we'll go around, Vance conceded, then slowly climbed on top of the horse. His troops followed suit as the soldier who lost his horse hopped onto his fallen comrade's horse. Have others from Flatlands come through here? Vance asked. No. Only people from Pakasound. They also were attacked by the industry army. Commander Vance smiled to himself. Okay, if anyone else from my homeland comes this way, can you assure them of our safety? Let them know we are traveling northeast. Yes, go in peace, the Hala man said, as he and his tribesmen faded back into the shadows. Commander Vance rode into the darkness mumbling a deadly promise under his breath. No one threatens members of the industry army. When Vance returns to this part of the forest he will make sure the Hala people pay for their mistakes. As night began to fall, Tusi suggested they stop and set up camp. Everyone was designated a task, as the day's fatigue began to set in. Sahara and Stephen put up one canvas, while Nalani got a hand from Gond and they put up the other canvas. When everyone was done, they all sat around the fire and warmed up some dried-out jerky and bread. A cool breeze floated through the forest making their surrounding feel like a place of peace. Small talk about their day and the road ahead flowed freely over the fire and food. Why do you think they reacted the way they did? We told them what happened to us, Sahara said out loud. Because they're afraid, Nalani said. She's right, Gond agreed. The army has many villages afraid. People no want to get involved, Dan Dan said. Yeah, but it's not like the industry army is following us. Besides I would never put their people in danger. Sahara said. She felt hurt that Naji and Kanet seemed willing to welcome them with open arms, and then suddenly turned on them. We know you wouldn't my lady. Nalani said. But not everyone has a good heart like you. When Nalani said that, the necklace around Zahara's neck began to vibrate on her chest. Zahara dug into her smock and lit up the night with the heart of Pakasound. Everyone was mesmerized by the beautiful light. Especially the Kelowna men, who did not know Zahara was in possession of such a priceless jewel. What is that? Gond asked. The heart of Pakasound, Zahara proudly said. Do you feel any powers from it? Stephen asked his sister. Sometimes, Sahara said looking into the glowing glass heart. It seemed like the colors within the heart would change according to Zahara's words or mood. Nalani, do you think I will ever learn how the heart works? Of course you will my lady. Nalani confidently said. Once we get to the kingdom of soul I'm sure you will receive some form of wisdom and guidance from the queen of high hop soul. Have you ever been to the kingdom of soul Nalani? Stephen asked. Yes I have young prince. She said with a warming smile. I was part of a caravan that traveled with your mother and father a very long time ago. What is it like there? Zahara asked with a glimmer in her eyes. Everyone shifted their focus from the heart to Nalani's words. I used to think Pakistan was the most beautiful city I've ever breathed in, but when we arrived in the kingdom. Nalani grinned, savoring the enchanting memory. I was in love like never before. The three Kelowna men sat back and enjoyed the tale of the largest city in Musina, as Stephen and Zahara continued to tag-team Nalani with more questions. Are there festivals like in Pakistan? Stephen asked. There you go, 
always thinking about food, Sahara said rolling her eyes. Nalani laughed, no young prince. Their festivals are much bigger than the ones in Pakistan. Really? Stephen excitedly asked. Yes. There is dancing in the streets and courts of food to choose from, Nalani said. What about the music and flow? Sahara asked knowing how important the rhythms were at a Pakistan feast. Oh. The Queen Mary Jane sang a song that was so soulful, I saw people in the room with tears in their eyes. For real? Sahara asked in awe. Yes, the only person in Pakistan I ever witnessed with that much vocal power was your mother. Nalani said to Sahara. But that's a story for another day. Now let's get you two ready to get some rest. Stephen sucked his teeth. Ah, come on Nalani. I want to hear more about the Kingdom of Seoul. Like what kind of army do they have? Does the king lead them into battle like my father does? And. That's enough Stephen. Zahara said, cutting her energetic brother off. You heard Nalani? We'll hear more about the kingdom soon enough. For now we have to get some rest. Yes, we have a long day. Dan Dan added, as everyone stood up and went to their respective places for the night. The next morning the small group started on their trek to the kingdom of Seoul. After walking for half of the day, Tusi said something to Gond, and he in turn relayed the message to everyone else. Tusi say, up ahead should be the falls. The Krava Falls, Nalani said, as the memory of the long stretch of river cascading down the tall mountains began to flash before her. You've been there before? Stephen asked. Yes everyone has to go through Krava Falls. Does anyone live there? Sahara asked. I don't think we ran into anyone, but you never know. Nalani said as the faint sound of running water could be heard. They stepped out of the woods and Tusi pointed to the waterfalls, which were reflecting off of the hot sun. Can we drink that water? Stephen asked feeling the dryness in his mouth. Yes young prince. There are also some good fish around these parts. Nalani said as they walked over to the edge of the large river. We take a break, Dan Dan said, causing everyone to use the water to either quench their thirst or wash their face. Wow Zahara. Look, Stephen said pointing into the clear blue water. Zahara looked down into the water and saw scores of colorful fish swimming in droves down the river. They are beautiful. Zahara said with a huge smile. We fish. Gan said to Nalani, who was washing her face. Dan Dan and Tusi pulled out their fishing equipment and got right to work. Dan Dan stepped into the shallow water and patiently waited with his spear aimed and ready. Stephen never witnessed how fishing was done and he didn't want to miss any of the action. He eased up on Tusi's side and watched, as Dan Dan stood stark still. Then with speed and force of a poisonous snake, Dan Dan jabbed his spear down into the flowing water. When he pulled the spear out of the water, an eight-pound fish was wiggling back and forth trying to free himself off of the sharp point. Wow! Did you see that? Stephen exclaimed with excitement. Tusi smiled at the young prince, nodded his head, and collected the fish from Dan Dan. Then Dan Dan went back into the water and performed the same process all over again. Do you think we should set up camp here? Nalani asked Gond. Yes, we eat, then travel until sunset. Gond said, before he wandered off to go gather some wood to build a small fire. Dan Dan caught three fish before curiosity overcame the young prince and he asked if could he go next. The three Galona men agreed in letting Stephen get his feet wet in his first taste of hunting, 
but the protective Nalani wasn't enthusiastic about the prince stepping out into the flowing river. If he's going out there, then you're going to hold his shirt. Nalani stated, and stared at Dan Dan with an eye that told him nothing better go wrong. Yes I hold. Dan Dan said, as he led Stephen out into the waist-deep water. You hold like this. Dan Dan told Stephen as fixed his grip on the spear. Then he guided Stephen into a stabbing position. Now you wait. Stephen nodded, and stared down into the flowing water like he watched his instructor do. A few small fish fiddled around their legs, but nothing was worth the shot. Sahara watched from afar, while Nalani stood right next to Tusi. Her mind was already made up. If the action called for it, Nalani was mentally prepared to dive right into the river, even though she wasn't a good swimmer. Stephen tried to focus once he saw some bigger fish swim by. Then he took his shot. All of the fish spread out into different directions. When he yanked the spear out of the water, the tip was empty. Stephen sucked his teeth, and Dan Dan encouraged him to go again. The prince took a deep breath and waited. Slowly the fish began to feel comfortable again. First the small fish, then the much bigger ones. Stephen took another and stabbed his spear into the water again. When Stephen yanked his spear back this time, he had a prize on the end. I did it. I got one. He boasted. Come. Dan Dan said then lead him back to shore. You see it Nalani? Stephen beamed. Yup and we're going to eat it too, she joked, as Tusi took the spear from him and the freshly caught fish with the rest of them. The fish wasn't as big as the ones Dan Dan caught, but they all were still pleased with the young prince first kill. Tusi showed Stephen how to skin the fish without destroying it. Gon built a small fire, while Sahara and Dan Dan veered off into the woods to look for some fruits and berries that grew wildly in the forest. Dan Dan, do you think the next village we come to will turn us away like the last one did? Sahara asked. Dan Dan was inspecting a bush that was growing blackberries, I don't know. Maybe they let us rest. Maybe they send help with us. I hope no turn away. Sahara was a little frustrated from not knowing the unknown. She would rather be prepared for what they may be faced with on their journey, than walking into unwelcoming cities. Dan Dan, do you have a wife? Sahara asked, changing the subject to a much easier one. He picked the berries with care, making sure, he didn't pick any sour ones, but her question made him stop in mid-reach, a wife? Zahara smiled, yes a wife. You know. Someone that loves you. Yes me have a wife, he said returning the smile. Dan Dan never knew he would be having a conversation like this with someone with Zahara's stature. Yeah? Do you have children yet? She asked Giddy about how the two unions of love and family were made. One boy. He named Fama. It mean young warrior, he said proudly. That's great. Zahara thought for a moment. I guess now that I am queen, I'm expected to build a new family. You find a king in Seoul? He asked, as they continued with the task of finding good berries. Then he moved on to pick some root. I don't know Dan Dan. I never thought of being the queen before. I always thought my father would be around. Zahara said staring off into the thick vegetation. Me sorry about you father, he said as he gathered up their pickings. Thank you Dan Dan, she said taking one of the bags of fruit from him. The sadness of losing her father hit her, and she knew it would always be there. We have enough, Dan Dan said, and led them back to camp. 
Nalani had the fish grilling over the fire, and the aroma sent hunger pains rambling through everyone's stomach. Tusi was showing Stephen how to use his sword, while Gon stood off to the side like he was a coach. No, he's saying to fix the feet. Gon translated for his partner. Like this? Stephen asked as he positioned his feet. Tusi showed him how to follow through with his swing and be one with his sword. Stephen knew with some good coaching on how to defend himself and engaged in strong strategic combat he could be as good a swordsman as his father, the king was. These thoughts made him want to get the teachings down even more. Nalani that smells good. Zahara beamed as they brought their pickings over to her. I wish we had some herbs my lady. Nalani said with a slight frown. We have root. Dan Dan said, handing her the fresh part of the plant which smelled like cinnamon. Nalani washed off the root and instructed Zahara to wash off the berries, while Dan Dan went over to observe the prince's training. Zahara was amazed at how Nalani put together their midday meal with virtually no tools, but what the forest had to offer them. Nalani, how did you learn to make do with so little? My mother. Who learned from her mother? That's how it's supposed to be. Traditions are handed down so the next generation can hold on to the ways of their bloodline, Nalani said. She put a piece of fish on a flat plate the Galonas carried in their packs. Zahara thought about this. You know I don't think I learned any traditions from my mom. I know. That's because you were so young when she passed. Nalani paused to look at Zahara, I'm sorry you never had any time with her. Your mother knew so many things. Were you and her close? Not as close as me and Queen Talia, but I believe that's because your mom was a high priestess. That made her a very private person. So she wouldn't talk to everyone like Talia would? Sahara asked. She felt that with the little information she could gather about her mother, she could put it with the things she already learned. Then maybe she could come up with a good picture of how her mother conducted herself in public. Well, yes and no, Nalani thought back for a second. Like when there was a festival, or when we received a royal visit your mother was one of the best hostesses I've ever seen, but when she would retreat into the royal sanctuary. Sometimes it would be for days. Do you know how she died? Zahara asked, figuring she can finally get one of the elders comfortable enough to want to tell her the tale they always shielded her from. Nalani weighed the question, as she continued to work her magic on the food. To tell you the truth my lady, we weren't really sure. We know it had something to do with the heart. Why would you think that? Because, the same way the heart lights up to your touch, is the same way it would come alive for your mother, Nalani said, handing Zahara the makeshift plate with fish, cooked root, and a side of berries. But no one else could get a response from it. Not even Saint Eagle, and he's one of the most powerful beings in Musina. After her death, people began to talk and blame was focused on the heart. Zahara thought about this as she ate her food. She felt blessed and cursed at the same time. On one hand, it was an honor to possess her powers. Even though she didn't exactly know how to use them yet. However, on the other hand isn't that the same power that took her mother away from her? Would this same power suddenly turn on me? Will she figure out how the heart actually works? Or will it remain a glass heart that shines under her touch? So many questions ran through Zahara's mind, as Nalani gave out the food as it finished cooking. When Nalani finished she fixed her plate and sat down next to Zahara. Nalani, do you think I will get the answers I'm looking for? The answers to what? The heart? Nalani asked in between bites. Yes. 
Do you think there is a spirit in the kingdom of soul that will know about the heart and tell me how am I supposed to use it to help our people? Sahara asked. Maybe. We will see when we meet with the queen. She may be able to help us, Nalani concluded. They finished eating so they could get back to their journey and Zahara's quest for her answers. Chapter Break It's still fresh, one of the commander's men informed him as he investigated the burn bush the traveling group used to build a fire. Check the rest of the area. Vance ordered. Then he and his troops fanned out to see if there were any traces of them being on the right trail. The area where the two canvases were put up gave the commander some insight on the place being recently occupied. Commander, we found some waste over there behind that bush, one of his men said pointing to the far west end of the wooded area. Is it human? Yes sir. The commander stood still and looked around the area as if he was trying to feel the presence that just left that morning. He took a deep breath to smell area, and then closed his eyes. His troops gave the commander his space whenever he performed this ritual. Commander Vance was a good tracker because he used the interrupted sections of the forest to tell him a story. The old fire, the interrupted section of the forest bed, and the human waste behind the bushes, were all a testament, and Vance never ignored the testaments. They were here. We are on the right trail. Vance said to no one in particular. Let's go the commander ordered before hopping onto his horse and leading the way out of the old campsite. Commander Vance and his troops covered a lot of ground by being on horseback. He knew it was only a matter of time before they caught up with the royal family, because they were traveling on foot. Vance and his men got to Krava Falls midday and was not surprised to run into the ruins of another recently abandoned campsite. Anyone traveling on a long journey will stop on the side of Krava Falls to rest. The trackers investigated the ruins and found the remains of fish and fruit. We're getting closer, Traver said as he walked up on the side of the commander. Traver was the only soldier out of his unit Vance felt he could depend on to complete a task without Vance breathing down his neck. Yes, let the horses drink from the crava and we will rest. The commander said observing the area. Tell them to gather some food and get the nets ready for some fishing. Yes sir. Traver said, before going over to the rest of the troops to relay the commander's message. The men quickly spread out and took on different tasks to ensure they would have food to eat. Vance wandered off alone and took in his surroundings. Yes. You definitely were here, he mumbled to himself. You can run, but you can't for too much longer, he said with a taste of death in his mouth. It was nothing like chasing down some worthy prey. Hey everyone, it's Walter Everlast. I want to thank you for listening to Let Me Tell You a Story podcast. Tune in for the next episode. God bless and be safe.